It's supposed to be a letter, not a book. Where's Christina? She can revive it, please. Oh man. Oh, everybody that knows me is praying for me right now. Oh, 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 Lord. All right, well, this is our text for today. Um, um, what was I saying? So Paul, he, he's reading, he's, Paul, stop. Paul's writing this letter, right? And he's having such a good time. Like, he loves these people, right? They're laughing. He's loving them. And he, and he gets to the end and he's like, all right, well, I'm in prison. I should probably stop writing. But hey, and another thing, finally, my brothers, these dogs are coming and rejoice. And, and, then, and then finally, my brothers. And then finally, and it's like, how many finallys does this guy have, right? Like, hang up the phone. And so finally, he gets to the end. And you just hear the warmth. Greet every saint. Like imagine him, he's in his prison cell and he can't be there. And he's just imagining them reading this letter coming together, probably much like this, where the pastor or, or maybe one of the elders reading the letter from Paul and they're all sitting on the edge of their seats. They're all sitting on the, on the, the they're all sitting on the edge of their seats, right? About the, yeah, right? They're all sitting on the edge of their seats and they're like, dude, this letter from Paul and everybody in the audience, they're like sitting on the edge of their seats, right? And they're like, hey, don't, Oh, oh, Paul, please don't be done yet. And then he says another fine. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, give me some more. And, he just, and you can just imagine he's writing. They're leaning. And he's like, oh, I just, just greet each other. Like have some connection time. Can you guys greet each other? Just greet every saint. We're over here. We greet you. We wish we could be with you. He says, those in Caesar's household. Do you guys remember earlier in the book when he said, he said that you guys, I'm in prison. And you guys are like, oh, man, that stinks. But actually God has used this. Even those of Caesar's household have become Christians. And so there's a sweet ending to this book. But I want to look at the final verses right before that little greeting, that final greeting. Listen to the words that he says here. Because what he reveals in his last section, remember, he can't hang up. He can't hang up. He's not like, ah, blah, 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 blah. And then, And then I'm so glad that he didn't hang up before today. You guys should be extremely glad that Paul did not hang up the letter before today, because in his final words, even in his last little breaths, he tells us something that every single person in this room wants to know. He gives us something that every single person, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're an adult or a student, whether you're a boy or a girl, every person who's over the age of six has wondered about this. And tonight in the final passages of his letter, he tells us the secret about money. In his final words, wisdom, before he drops the mic, he's going to give us, through the Holy Spirit, the secret about money. And everybody just took out their pen and they're like, yes, please, give me the secret. No, no, not the secret to getting rich, the secret about money. And so do you guys want to hear about this? Let's look at it. All right. Look at the first one. Look at verse 10. Start, read with me in verse 10. It's on the screen and it's in your Bibles. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that at now, that, that now at length, you have revived your concern for me. I mean, you, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned, this, I, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret 
of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The first thing that we see here, the first thing that Paul tells us is that the condition of our hearts doesn't determine, or the condition of our finances doesn't determine the condition of our hearts, okay? The condition of our finances doesn't determine the condition of our hearts. And so look at the first thing, please. Look at the first thing he says, right? He goes, you have revived your concern for me. Yeah, nice, thank you. You have revived your concern for me. The Philippians, they find out that Paul's in prison, right? And so they express, that's good, thank you. They express their concern for him by sending him money. They send him this generous gift. They send Epaphroditus, go bring him a gift, go take care of him, let him know that we love him, right? Don't just tell him, don't just write him love letters, show him how much we love him. He says, and, and so Paul, he says, thank you for thinking of me, right? <laughs> Is that what you guys say every time you get money? You're like, thank you for thinking of me? <laughs> you go, yeah, right? But he's like, thank you for thinking of me. I, I, I know that you were always thinking of me, but now you Philippians, on the edge of your seats, you guys had an opportunity to express your love for me through your generosity, and you did it. Thank you. Thank you, right? He says that he's thankful. It says that he's rejoicing. I mean, how would you act if you just got a big check from someone across the country, right? Like, you get a knock on the door, and it's like, ding dong. Is that a knock? You get like a ding dong at the door, right? You get the, what is it, the doorbell. Somebody rings your bell, right? And you open up and they're like, hey, oh man, it's you, Olivia, hey. You're like, what are you doing here? You live in Florida. And you're like, I like traveled across the country to like give you this because we love you and I heard you were in need. And you give them a big check, right? All of you guys would be like, that is awesome, right? You would be like saying with Paul, I rejoice greatly, right? I want you to do that. Next time your mom gives you something, Right? Next time she like, serves you food at the dinner table. Mother, I rejoice greatly in your generous giving. Right? Like, you're such a weirdo. What are they teaching with that youth group? He rejoices greatly. And that makes total sense. Right? That's what anybody would do. But here's what not everybody would do. Paul gets the check. He gets the money. And he looks to them and he says this. He says, I'm thankful for the gift, but I just want to be clear here. I'm, I'm thankful for your generosity, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear about this. I want to make sure that you're hearing me. My financial situation does not determine my joy. Okay? He says, oh, thank you. Oh, my, I rejoice. But, but not, not that I'm speaking of being in need. Let's just be clear here. My financial situation does not determine our joy. And so most people, if they just got a lot of money in the mail, right? If somebody hand-delivered you a gift... Most people would say what? Thank you, right? And that's it. Just thank you, thank you, thank you. But that's, is Paul any guy? Is Paul an ordinary dude? You're like, I've been with him for four chapters. He's anything but ordinary. At least your impersonation of him, Sam. Um, trust me, I know his impersonation. But this is what Paul does. He doesn't just say, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. He says, thank you. But j just to be clear here, um, I want to teach you something. Right? And Paul, he takes every opportunity to teach the Philippians what it's like to live for Jesus, including money, right? Paul, he receives a gift, and instead of just saying thank you, he uses even this as an opportunity to create a community of people who are learning to live for Jesus. Thank you so much, but also let me teach you something here, real quick, about money and the way that Christians respond to it. 
And you're like, Paul, just say thank you and take the gift. He's a teacher. Remind you of anybody, right? <laughs> always teaching, always talking. Yeah, me neither, right? And so listen, but we should be thankful though, okay? We should be thankful that Paul didn't just say thank you and, and get back to his prison cell. We should be thankful that he wants to teach you something about money because here's the way that it works in our world. Here's the way that I would dare say works in most of your homes. Here's the way it works on television. Here's the way it works in your schools, friends. Here's the way it works in the world. The, the, the amount of money in your bank account directly impacts the amount of joy in your heart, okay? This is the way it works in the world, okay? And we have some illustrations here to prove it. Check this out, all right? The amount of money that you have in your bank account, okay? And so the bank account can fluctuate from high to low. Does, does this, how do you, right? This is like a crazy contraption. High bank account, you have an abundance of money, and then sometimes you go to the mall or the candy lounge or your parents lose their job, and it's like, whoa, my thermometer's low. And this thermometer has a direct impact on this thermometer, right? And so here's your contentment. Of citizens, right? Um, yeah, you know how like you watch a television show and you're like, dude, it was so good after two seasons, like, and they just dragged it on. They should have stopped. Yeah, we're just gonna prevent that, and so we're just gonna do reruns from now on on Wednesday nights. So, um, come 2012 is awesome. You're gonna love that season starting next week, right? And so, and so here's what happens, right? Here's what happens. Your your bank account here has a direct impact, a, a direct impact on the joy that is in your heart on your contentment. And this is what the world says. If you wanna fix this one, you better fix this one, right? The world says, man, you got problems. I, you're just, you're lacking in joy. You're more toward despair than you are toward contentment. And so if you really, really, really wanna see this one go higher and higher, you gotta make this one go higher and higher. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you guys experienced this? And so the joy in your household, right, you can almost feel like the energy is different. Just your parents are in a funk, and there's just, there's not a lot of joy going on because this is not going on. There's not a lot of contentment lately because, man, it's been, it's been slow at dad's work, and mom, she can't find, and it's just, these are directly connected. But look what Paul says. He goes, hey, thanks for the gift, but I just want to be clear. My contentment, my joy, my, my satisfaction in life is not directly impacted by my financial situation. And so he says, this fluctuates, right? This goes high, this goes low. I, I've been in abundance, I've been in need, I've been in hunger, I've been in plenty. But no matter what changes here for Paul, this doesn't change. It doesn't change. And he says it doesn't need to change for anyone who's in Christ. The bank account 
doesn't determine his joy. You should be thinking right now, that's weird, okay? Don't nod as if, yeah, I mean, that makes total sense. This is weird, okay? This is abnormal, especially in our materialistic culture. Even those, those of you who don't have the burdens of providing for families and jobs and salaries, even at the youngest level in our society, you guys are already feeling the direct correlation and you're learning. It's being wired into you. This determines this. And so Paul, in his final words, in, in, the, in, in his inability to hang up the phone, he says one more thing, and we're so glad he does because he reveals the secret. And he teaches us, even today, the secret. He says the reason why this doesn't fluctuate when this fluctuates is because this is not tied to this. He says my joy thermometer is actually tied to a third thermometer. And that thermometer is my connection to Christ. Okay? And so this one is full, right? This one's full. And you go, man, this one is, is fluctuating. Why is his joy not moving? Because it's not connected to this one. His contentment and his joy is, is based on his connection to Christ. He says in verse 13 here, he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here's the secret. I can do all things. I can do all situations. I can endure any bank account level through Christ who strengthens me. And we learn from Paul that the heart that is set on Christ is always content. Students, hear me out here, okay? Christians, hear me out. The heart that is set, the heart that is connected, the heart that is contented on Christ is always content because this doesn't change. Do you guys know what this is? Do, you probably have never even seen a thermometer that doesn't change because your entire world is this. Your entire world is fluctuating. Your entire world, there's nothing stable and you're just like, man, that's just the way the world is. But there's something in this world, friends, that's this thermometer and it doesn't change. Do you know what this is? Do you, do you know what this thermometer is? This is the fact that God has saved you through Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. This thermometer represents God's love for you that he demonstrated through his son. This thermometer is the goodness of God and that doesn't fluctuate. This thermometer is the truth of the gospel and it never wavers. This thermometer is God's love for you that he showed by saving you from your sins. His mercy never runs out. His compassion, it never wanes. His burning desire to sanctify you and present you holy and blameless never cools. And all of the truths that this represents, all of the truths that have caused us to fall in love with Jesus Christ, they never change. And so it only makes sense that the heart that is set on Christ is always content. If I were to ask you right now, if you were to do some, 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 some heart examination, is the, is the status of your heart, is the status of your joy, would you say, what would you say it's connected to? If you experience a, a, a joy fluctuation in life, if you experience a contentment that is always changing, my question to you is, what in this world do you think it's more dependent on? And does that fluctuate? Is your contentment tied to the things in the world that are always changing, such as money, 
Maybe, maybe it's based on how many friends you have. Is it tied to your great? What is it in your life that when it changes, it has an impact on your joy? I think we can learn here from Paul. We can learn the secret, friends. We can learn the secret of facing the highs and the lows. Set your heart on the unchanging goodness of God. That's the secret. Set your heart there. Set your heart on the unchanging goodness of, God, of Jesus. Set your heart on the unfailing love of God. Set your heart on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't change. When you became a Christian, God made his home with you in the person of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't change. It doesn't. And I think that this truth can be an oasis in the middle of a desert that is always changing in your life. I remember as a student, even in college, it was almost like instinctual, this longing for stability, right? This longing for, I just, I, just want to, I just want to have something stable. And I thought that that meant maybe where I lived or, or I, just want to, I just want to arrive with my job or I just want to have my money. And I realized I've learned, like Paul, the secret of facing all the changing situations. It's relying on the one thing that doesn't change. Does that make sense? And so the condition of his finances don't determine the condition of his heart. But here's the cool thing in this text. The Philippians, they still gave him a generous gift, right? They still actually blessed him and gave him a generous gift. And so look at the next few verses here. Look at their extremely generous gift in verse 14. Check it out. He says, yet. So, so all of that, yet, Paul still says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. It was very kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves, you know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church. Say, no church. No one, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. <laughs> They've been helping him out this whole time. The Philippians have continually been generous with him. Not once, but also again. And so we see here from the way that the Philippians contributed, contributed generously to Paul, the family of God, they share more than just the good. That's the second point. Listen to me again, okay? The family of God shares more than just the good, Okay? Paul was in need. Paul was down here. He was low, right? He says, no other church helped me. The other churches that I ministered to, the other churches that I wrote letters to, I went and preached the gospel to them. No other churches were helping me in my need. But Philippians, you did. Philippians, you saw my need and you were generous with me. And then he says this really, really unique line that I think is powerful. He says, it was kind of you to what? He doesn't say to give me money. It was kind of you to write me a check. It was kind of you to take an offering for me. He says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. This is like the millionth time that we've run into the word share in the book of Philippians. Do you guys know that? We've seen this word, maybe not in English, but it's the same word. And if you remember at the very beginning of the book, I illustrated the word to you with the table, right? The word share, koinonia, right? This, and basically what it means is, it means a partaking together. 
And so all throughout the book, Paul, he's going, hey, you, Philippians, don't forget, we are sharing in the faith. We are partaking together in our common salvation. We are sitting at the same table that Christ has called us to. Paul says we are sharing in the faith. But now the same word is used not to say that we're sharing in the faith, not to say that we're sharing in salvation. The same word is used to describe how the Philippians decided to share in Paul's needs. Do you see that? So that word share means we're sitting at the table together, we're partaking, but now it's also used to describe what the Philippians are doing. And the Philippians, they looked at Paul and they said, we are going to sit down at the table of your need with you. We're gonna sit down and partake with you, not only of the good stuff, we're gonna partake with you in in your need. We're gonna sit down and experience this with you. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's beautiful. Everybody wants to partake in the good stuff. We partake in the faith. We partake in the events. We partake in the food. Oh, right. We partake in the fun. We partake. And the Philippians, they decided to share. They decided to partake in Paul's needs. Friends, that's the community of God. Students, hear me, okay? That is the church. The family of God shares more than just the good. That's what the community of God is like. Whatever picture that you start to establish of church at this age, it's going to be with you for the rest of your lives. And so understand, church is not the place you go to on Sundays. Church is not the place you go to on a Wednesday night. Church is not the building. Church is is you. Church is the people. Church is the community. And we see here that the community, they share together, not just the good, but also the bad. This is a community that we, and this is what we are. Forget the, this is us. This is what God designed us to be. He designed us to be a community that said, hey, are you in need? Let's carry that burden together. Hey, you're having trouble? Like, you're having a hard go of it in life? Let's, let's sit down at the table of your need, at the table of your trouble, and do it together. Friends, that's why at Citizens, we're a little bit weird here, Right? In more ways than one, but, but in this way. We're weird in that this is a community, this is a room full of students who are authentic. And so for those of you who are new and you're like, dude, I'm just checking out citizens, this is what we do. Like, we get into small groups throughout the week with different youth staff leaders, and we open up. And we, and we talk about what's going on in our lives. And we talk about the areas that we fall short. And we confess things that we've done wrong. And we tell each other about sin, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's weird, awkward. Aren't we supposed to just pretend like we're good? Aren't we supposed to just like pretend like we got it going on? And like, no, not in the community of God, because the family of God shares more than just the good. And so we'll open up in small group. We'll ask each other very raw, can you pray for me? We confess to one another our needs, because we realize that God's design in bringing the group of people together is to share not just the good, but to share each other's troubles to share each other's burdens. And that is exactly what the Philippians are doing here for Paul. Actually, the way that they're helping Paul here, literally they're helping him with his finances. He's having trouble. He's not just having a hard day at school. He has need, right? Thermometer, low. He has need. And so they share even that. Do you know that the church still does that? Like we still like help people with money. Like, 
Do you know that if a member of LifePoint Church comes here and comes into the office, if they're having need financially, financial troubles, we help them. We give them money. Whoa, so how does that happen? The leaders give them money, right? Like Pastor Andrew takes out his wallet and, no, you know where we help them with money from? <laughs> All of the money that LifePoint Church, the people, collect. And so you guys, through your generous giving, you're, you're doing this. You are helping those who are in need, financially even. That's the church. If I would have understood that that was the church when I was your age, I'd be a lot more mature, right? I would have gotten it a lot sooner, obviously. But I didn't understand that, friends. Church was the place I went to. Church was like the group of people. It was my social circle when I needed more friends. But it was like my safety net. I attended it. I was a good member. I did all the right things. I got all the right answers. You are the church. And we see here, God's design for you is that we share more than just the good. So can we do that? This fall, as we're going back to school, can we continue to share in each other's troubles? And one of the easiest ways to do that is by coming and just the ministry of presence. Sometimes the best way to help somebody in need is just to be there, right? Have you ever had a friend that was going through a hard time and you had no idea what to say? Right? And sometimes we, we have those friends and what we want to do is like avoid them. It's awkward. I don't know what to say. And we just like go away. And then we say, oh, but we just got to give them their space. Cause that, and then if you've ever been in that role, you go, man, where is everybody when I needed them, right? You go, man, where is everybody? I know they probably just want to like give me some space, but aren't they the ones that are supposed to share my trouble? I thought that's what this was. Let's be a community, friends. This fall, this school year, and that's why we're even doing student leadership, because we are trying to eradicate the concept of a group of students who come and attend something. I'm just going to show up and Sam's just going to do his thing and I'm going to go home. We're not doing that. I'm not interested in that. If you guys want that, I, I, I guess we could. I mean, it's not, no, it's not a democracy. I'm, we don't, we're not doing that. That's not where we are leading because that's not where the Lord has led the church. The family of God shares more than just the good. And so this is what the Philippians are doing. And Paul, he's grateful, right? He's thankful. He he's appreciates their financial gift. And he loves the community. But look at the last few words here. Because even though this is happening to Paul's bank account because of the Philippians, you're going to see something interesting. As Paul is writing his last words, he's actually more excited about the givers than he is about the receiver. All right? See if you can catch it here. Look at the last few verses, starting in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. He goes, I, I've received full payment. I'm, I'm full. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Look, it's going through the roof. I'm there. But he says about their gift, he goes, it is a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We see from Paul's final words here that those who give are just as blessed as those who receive. Third and final point, those who give are just as blessed as those who receive. That, that's the only way you can explain Paul's attitude, right? 
He goes, wow, I received full payment and more. He says that once. And then for like the other four verses, he's like, dude, I'm so excited for you, right? I'm excited for you. And here's why. Here's three ways that giving blesses us. And these are three ways that the Philippians are blessed here, okay? Look at it really quick. Number one, giving makes a difference. Giving makes a difference. He says, not that I seek the gift. I, I mean, thank you for that. I'm so glad you did that. Not because I'm seeking the gift. I'm so glad you did that. Not because I wanted it. I'm actually more glad because of the fruit that will take place to your credit. Do you understand what he's saying there? Do you guys know what fruit is? You're like, this is a trick question, right? Spiritual fruit, metaphorically speaking. No, no. fruit is food. Mm, everybody go, mm, right? Mm, yes. Write that down. Fruit is food. And now let's pray. No, no. Fruit is food in one sense, but in another sense, fruit is the result of hard work. Right? Could you say that? An apple is food, but in another sense, an apple represents the result of someone who planted and watered and sunshined and pruned and manured the, the, the ground, right? And so it's the result of hard work. And so he says, I'm so excited that you gave me this gift. Yeah, I mean, yes, yes, I'm in abundance, but really I'm more excited because giving makes a difference. Your gift is like planting a tree. Your gift is a seed and it is going to make a difference in the kingdom of God and you, the giver, you're going to get to experience the joy and satisfaction of seeing that fruit and saying, wow, God gave me the gracious opportunity to be a part of what he did. Do you see that? Do, do you understand that? When you give your money, when you are, are, are contributing generously and regularly, Paul says you, are, you will be blessed in that you will get to see the gracious and sovereign results that God brings about and know that he graciously gave you the opportunity to be a part of that. That's cool. That's, that's gracious. That by itself is enough motivation to give, to say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. Look at the second thing. Not only does giving make a difference, giving is pleasing to God. He says here, he says, the gifts that you sent were a fragrant offering. A sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. When I hear the word fragrance, I think of walking to the mall and said bed, bath, and body works, bath and body works. I don't even know the name of it because my eyes are like tearing because I can't smell anything and see anything. You know what I'm talking about? That store that you walk into and all the fragrance at once like punch you in the face. You know what I'm talking about? Do they still have those stores? Right? You guys are like, I don't even know what store that is. Like, you know you bathe in warm vanilla sugar, boys, all right? <laughs> You know, you know you'd be rocking that Japanese cherry blossom, all right? Come on now, boys. Don't get, don't get overly masculine on me. Don't get overly masculine. You know, you'd be burning those candles, right? But anyway, you walk into that store and you, you're like, Sam, how do you know those names? That's a story for another day, all right? My nickname may or may not have been Warm Vanilla Sugar um, in high school. Um, anyway, so you walk into the store and you just get this, you get this smell and you're like, what is that? And you're like, it's fragrance. And then like people are trying to sell it to you and you're like, 
this is a horrible business model. I feel like this business model belongs online where they can't smell it. Um, but anyway, that, that fragrance, that's, it's a smell, right? And Paul, he's not talking about candles. He's not talking about incense. He's using an Old Testament image to make his point here. And so for those of you who read your Bibles, man, and you read the Old Testament, you see that what they would do, the ancient Israelites, as a way to show God their reliance on him, as a way to show and express their love to God, they would make sacrifices. You know, a lot of, a lot of Sunday school teachers or, or, or popular books, they'll say they made sacrifices only because they were trying to get on God's good side. No, I think that's overly simple. There were sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament simply as a demonstration of their love for God, you know? And so, so imagine you're ancient Israelite, right? And you're, <laughs> this thermometer, instead of saying like your bank account, it's like your sheep pen, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, the Lord has been good to us. Hey, look at the sheep, right? And then it's like, no, no, sheep dead, right? And it's like, your bank account would have been like your sheep pen, your animals, your livestock. And what they would do is, they would, I'm sorry, what they would do is, the voices, they just speak to me, and I just speak them. Um, I channel them, actually. Um, and so their, their, their livestock situation, what, what they would do is when they was good, right, when they had plenty, when they, when they had their animals, they would take right off the top, right? They wouldn't, like, spend it all. Let me get my food. Let me get my clothes. Let me trade with the neighbors, pay off my debts, and then whatever's left over for God, God, little tip on the side. They would, as soon as they got their increase of fruit, of animals, whatever it is, they take right off the top, and they go, whoosh, God, I'm not even touching this. This is for you. And so they would kill the animal. <gasps> right? I'm not going to go in on the whole PETA movement, okay? Um, don't eat animals. Animals are friends, not food. I'm like, they're friendly food? I mean, I can compromise. I'm smiling, <laughs> you know? Shoot, right? And so they would sacrifice their animals, not because God liked it, you know, like toasty. They would say, hey, we're not using this anymore. We're not even going to leave it around. We are not, this is not ours. God, it's yours, right? And they would take it and they'd cook it. And like as the smoke, it was an image, as the smoke of the, of the meat, as the, as the incense of the fruit, whatever it is that they were, as they were sacrificing, as that would like lift up to the sky, right? Like imagine a bonfire, you see the smoke going up. They, that was like an image that they would say, that's like incense rising up to the Lord, right? That's like, like, ooh, this kind of smells good, right? Like, wow, I think I like sheep. We will call it mutton, right? It's like ancient Israelites invented mutton, right? And so they're doing this stuff, and it's like, man, that smells good. This must smell even better to God. And you know why the sacrifice smelled good to God? It wasn't because he likes mutton, right? It wasn't because he liked meat. The reason why it smelled good, the reason why it was an aroma that was pleasing to God is because it was demonstrating a heart in his people that said, God, I know that I don't need to look out for number one. Every time people gave a sacrifice, every time they went and laid something on the altar and walked away, it was a declaration of faith and reliance that I don't need to hoard all of my belongings to make sure that I'm taken care of. I can leave some of it. I don't need 100% of my income because I know that God is taking care of me. And they could walk away. And as the smoke rises up, they just pictured God, his light, the light of his face shining on them, smiling. And he was pleased. He loves when his children trust him. He loves when his children don't get white-knuckled over, I need my money. They go, I don't need this money. God takes care of me, not me. 
And so Paul, he takes that image and he goes, that's what your gift to me was, Philippians. Oh. He goes, yes, you were giving to me. Yes, you wrote a check out to Paul the Apostle, right? (laughs) That's not his last name, children, okay? Um, Come to the academy. We'll learn more. Starting September 18th. Right? Um, And so, yes, you wrote out a check to me, but Philippians, I want you to understand that first and foremost, your gift was a gift to God. Your financial sacrifice, your generous giving was first and foremost pleasing to your heavenly Father. Your gift was a statement. Philippians, I love you because your gift was a statement that you believe that God will take care of you. Look what Jesus says, Matthew chapter six, verses 31 and 32. He says this about the heavenly father. Do we have the text? I think I still have that one in my Bible. Matthew chapter six, 31 and 32. He says this, talks about the birds, talks about the flowers of the field. And then he says, do not be anxious saying, oh no, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? He goes, The Gentiles, those who don't have God, they seek, they pursue those things. You know that your heavenly father knows that you need them. He says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But you don't need to seek after those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Every time that we give financially, like Paul, yes, you're helping Paul. Every time that we take an offering here, every time that we give regularly and generously at LifePoint Church, I mean, you guys are helping. I mean, you're paying for the lights. I always wondered how those got turned on. I mean, we pay for them. We are the church. We pay for the lights. We, we pay for my salary. Do you guys know that? Like, I get a check every month to provide for my family because I labor in prayer and the word of God and discipleship and all those things. Like, Where do we get the money from? We get a grant from the government? No, the church. You guys give me a gift every time you give. You guys are doing ministry. We send kids to camp. We do outreach. We buy bottles of water. I mean, just the practical things of ministry, you pay for them. Thank you. As Paul would say, I rejoice. Thank you. But like Paul, I would also say, your gift, yes, it may be to LifePoint Church. Yes, it may be to me. More importantly, it is a sacrifice that is pleasing to God because every time you do it, you're saying, I believe Jesus and I believe that God, our Father, is who Jesus revealed him to be and I can trust him. He is who he said he is. And so here's my money. God, you take care of me. Does that make sense? Every time we give, it's a pleasing statement to God. Lord, I trust you. God, you provide for me. Lord, you're my heavenly Father. So the second reason why we're blessed when we give is because it's pleasing to God. Look at the third reason. Giving reveals to us God's care. It reveals to us God's care. And that's what we're talking about here. When, we, when, when people start giving regularly, I get excited. I'm like, when people start making giving a regular habit of their life, I get excited. Not because it's like, yes, money in our pockets. No, no. I get excited because you are about to realize that God is who he said he is. When you say, I don't need to look out for number one, I'm going to let God do that, you are about, you're going to be blessed because you're about to experience God's care. 
you're about to see and that he's about to reveal himself to you that he does meet your needs. He does look out for you. Have you ever met a generous person? How many of you can say, I know someone who is like super generous? Not just like, oh, they're kind of nice. Like they're like so generous that it's weird. I know people like that. Do you guys know people like that? Do you know that some of those people sent you to to summer camp? Do you know that there's people that like, they go, man, I can't be there on a Wednesday night. I love those little eighth graders. Look how adorable they are, right? I love them. But honestly, I, but I want to see them like learn how to live for Jesus. So I'll write a check for $2,000 so they can go to camp. I'm like, I, did you, I, what? No, no, I'm sorry. It costs 200 for camp, not 2000 Yeah, I know. Take 10. Is that process? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, why? Who is generous like that? I think people are generous. I know people are generous because they've learned the secret. They've learned that they don't meet their own needs. God does. And those who give, they are blessed because they will get to see the results of their giving. They will get to, they, they know that it's pleasing to God and they get to see God's care for them. And as you guys learn to trust in God, to provide for your needs, you will be able to say with Paul, like he does here time and time again, this will be the mantra of your heart. This will be the declaration of your life. As you realize that God is who he said he is, you will be able to say now and forevermore to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. That's the secret about money, friends. This is the secret. That those who are, that that, that those who don't have their joy connected to their bank account. It's because it's on God. Part of the secret is that those who give regularly and generously, they're keeping their heart from being controlled by their bank account. They're caring for one another, expressing their love, and they're also expressing their reliance on God to say, God, I don't need this. You take care of me. 